Okay. So, this first session out of three is called Snapchat Selfies and Salvation. And we're basically going to be dealing with the topic of social media. And um, I'm excited about it. I hope you're excited about it. I think it's relevant. It's helpful. And we're just going to be covering basic moral principles and overall principles of social media. The second session will deal with people who are doing it well, uh, principles for you to be able to do social media well evangelistically. And then the third session is going to be kind of an um, exclusive opportunity. I'm going to show a program that hasn't released yet through our ARTV platform called um, Animal Encounter Season 2. Uh, some episodes that haven't been released yet, probably a half segment because they're, they're in two. There's basically two episodes per half hour. So we're going to do one of those, some of our other programming, and just kind of explain what's coming in the future of digital media for the Adventist Church. So uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, start our time together. God, thank you for the privilege to have this time together. Thank you for such a beautiful message. Uh, I thank you for the special music before the message. It touched my heart. Uh, But I also want to thank you for Chad's message. I just pray that you'd bless us now with your presence, that you'd help us to manage our time wisely, and that what is shared would be helpful and relevant to those present. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Snapchat, selfies, and salvation. So did you know that in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul actually got the gospel to go viral in the first century? Did you know that? Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. I'm going to give kind of a biblical framework for why I think social media is important, and then we'll come back. Acts chapter 19. How many people have heard of a place called Ephesus? You ever heard of Ephesus? The book of Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus. John died as the pastor of Ephesus in that area once he was released from Patmos. Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus for a while when Paul was writing to him in 2 Timothy, I believe. And in Acts chapter 19, my little subheading for the top of the chapter says, Paul at Ephesus. So he went to the synagogue in verse 8 and spoke boldly for how long? For three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for how long? Two years. Two years, so that all who dwelt where? In Asia. Asia, Heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, why is this interesting and relevant and so forth? Well, Paul, this is kind of an artist. There we go. This is kind of an artist depiction of the school of Tyrannus, right? It looks like a college lecture hall with a chalkboard. I don't think Paul used one of those. And I know he certainly didn't have a ceiling fan. But you get the basic idea that if if he's preaching in this school for two years and doesn't leave this school for two years, how is it that the entire Roman province of Asia hears the gospel? You ever wonder, like, how is it that if he stays in one place... The entire Roman province of Asia hears the gospel, both Jews and Greeks. Well, how did that happen? Well, some people came. They heard Paul preach. They thought, man, that's amazing. And they go home, and they share with the people they know. Then other people come. They hear the gospel, and they go home and share with people that they know. It's the equivalent of somebody says, hey, I like that, and they hit like and share on their profile, right? And he literally gets the gospel to go viral in the span of two years while never leaving the location where he was. Social media actually has very similar capabilities that you can be in one physical geographical location and impact people all over the world without leaving where you are. Now, how? 
This is the way the school of Tyrannus was designed. The school of Tyrannus was basically this place that it was basically for the intelligentsia of his day that they were using this place as a lecture hall in the morning, but it wasn't used after that. So from mid to late morning to the heat of the day, it was too hot for people to be working in the fields. So they would come to the school of Tyrannus and they were looking to hear new ideas, right? And they were killing time. They had nothing else to do. It was the place where people went to kill time and to hear new ideas. Where do you think I'm going with this? <laughs> so I believe that social media is the new school of Tyrannus. It's a place where people are killing time uh, and looking for new ideas after school and after work. But let's just be honest. Many people are doing this during school and during work, aren't they? Some of us need to repent to our professors. <laughs> Some staggering statistics. The current, according to Mr. Google, the world population right now is 7.6 billion people, okay? 3.8 billion, half of that figure, are on the internet. Literally, half of the world is on the internet right now. So this is where I, I'm just going to go into this immediately. This is where I have a beef with people saying that, you know, there's all these bad things on the internet. The problem is, there's bad things in the mission field. Does that mean that we're not going to go to, does that mean that no one's going to reach the people in these hostile places like, you know, Somalia and other places. Like, how are these people going to hear the gospel? Just because bad stuff happens there does not mean that these people are not valued by Jesus. Someone has to tell them about Jesus. Now, are you responsible enough and strong enough to be able to handle being in that environment? Maybe not. And you shouldn't be there. But there are people who will need to be there. So to just cast off an entire mission field because bad stuff happens to be in that area... If that's the position that Jay and Andrews took, we would not be a global movement. Are you with me? So we need to think through our statements. This is where we fall into this Judean, this first century Jewish mindset that we just hate everything that isn't like us. Right? And if bad things are happening, that means that all the people there are bad and aren't worthy of being saved. That's what we're projecting. We don't realize it, but that's what we're saying. Stay away from those people because they do bad things. The problem is they're still people that Jesus died for, that are made in the image of God and need to be reminded of the fact that they're made in the image of God. And we have to break this prejudice mentality that those people, there are people, all of them, amen? amen. Paul says that I'm a debtor both to Jews and to Greeks. Uh, David Platt in his book Radical, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream, says that we owe Christ to the world. We owe that to the world. So someone has to tell them. That's my point. So we need to break that prejudiced, um, bigoted mindset that is easy to get in, in reform-based movements. And our reforms are a huge blessing, by the way. You don't need to run from the reforms. We just need to be like Jesus when believing the reforms. And we need to be missional, right, in the way that we approach things. 2.8 billion people are active on social media. It's a lot of them. 1 billion people are active on Facebook. It's, it's literally like the largest country in the world, if it were to be a country. Facebook is. 100 million people use Instagram every month. 91% of retail brands use two or more social media accounts. By the way, um, I'm willing to give these slides to GYC Northwest that you guys can just have and get from them. So you don't have to worry about taking pictures or taking a crazy notes. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. Uh, the audio, too, I'll share that as well. Internet users have an average of 5.54 social media channels. I want to ask you if you have that many. But you got, you got YouTube, you got... Does anyone here actually use Google Plus? Okay, I, I just didn't know if that was the side. That, 
I won't say anything more. I just didn't know if people actually use it. 75% of Facebook users and 50% of Instagram users visit those sites daily. Social media use increased by 482 million since January 2016. One million new active mobile social users are added how frequently? Every day. Every day. That's 12 a second. Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp handle 60 billion messages a day. 60 billion messages are sent daily through WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. On any given day, Snapchat reaches 41% of the demographic that we lose as Seventh-day Adventists by the bucket loads. 18 to 34-year-olds, on any given day, they reach 41% of them. That was before one of the Jenner girls started trashing on them, so I don't know if that number's gone down or not. 50% of 18 to 24-year-olds go on Facebook when they wake up. I used to own a Bible. Here it is. How many of them are picking up one of these when they first wake up in the morning? Yeah? But they could encounter the living Christ based upon what you're posting. It's possible. Average daily time used on social media in 2016 was 118 minutes. Now, I'm not going to go crazy biblical on you right now, but that's nearly a tithe of their day. How many of you are spending 118 minutes doing spiritual things in your day? Right? How many of us fall in that category? We've spent 118 minutes on social media. This is kind of a regional overview of Internet users in millions. Okay? So East Asia is killing it, y'all. 923 million. Uh, South Asia, 585 million. So you put those two together, like that's well over a billion and a half people, basically, just in Asia. Then Africa and West Europe are basically around the same, around 363, 353. And then you have Southeast Asia, which adds even more. Then North America, 320 million, and so forth. But these are the people that have access, which I don't know what the population is in the United States, but I'm sure 320 million is pretty close. Um, All right, profiles for social media networks. 1.9 billion users on Facebook. YouTube, 1 billion. Instagram, 600 million. Twitter, 317 million. Snapchat, 300 million. Here's why all this matters. The Apostle Paul's mouth would be watering if he could access this many people this easily. Now, is he going to be taking those crooked neck selfies that everyone takes? No. But would he... I don't even understand those. It looks uncomfortable to me. But I guarantee you that the first century church, if they had access to this, this is the new publishing work. Right? Our pioneers took the publishing work very seriously. They were innovators. For us, like that, they're books. Books are old, right? But whenever they did it, it was revolutionary, right? We were some of the first ministries involved in radio and television. But for digital media, for whatever reasons, we've really drug our feet. We've been more afraid to enter this mission field, and the Mormons are killing us right now. And I don't mean this is an us versus them, but they're blowing it up right now. They're finding ways to create relevant content to engage people that doesn't, you know, advertise the strange aspects of their faith, right? They don't throw out those things. I almost mentioned some of them, but there was a guard at the tongue uh, that stopped it on its way out. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Pray for me. And some of you may be asking the question this bear's asking, though. But yeah, isn't there bad stuff on social media? Like, you know, should we really be there? I mean, there's terrorist propaganda, right? Uh, ISIS got a whole lot of followers on Twitter. I don't mean in a Twitter sense, right? They got a lot of ideological followers. There's violence on social media. There's cyberbullying. We'll close with that thought. 
Pornography. It's the safest picture I could use without getting kicked out of here. I still have some messages to share. Facebook Live. This is about a year ago where um, Facebook Live isn't the problem. The problem is there's unfiltered content being created live by users who just want attention. And people like Logan Paul and other Facebook, or YouTubers who just do radical, even harmful things to other people, pranks, hurting people, or whatever, when you do things like this, it, you realize, wait, people get lots of attention when I do mean, cruel things. I should do that. And there was a group of young people in Chicago who literally kidnapped a mentally disabled person and tortured them live on Facebook. Now, if you're smart, uh, when you broadcast something on Facebook Live, you're broadcasting something from your profile that people can see and know. So they found them very easily after this happened because it was there. So anyway, strange things there. Spiritualism, and I don't just mean Beyonce videos, I mean other stuff too. And addiction and how social media shapes the brain. This is where I want to go next. There, um, yes, there are bad things there, but the question is how do we navigate that? And has God called me to that mission field? Because we don't want to take the position of God calls people to do you know, work in secular environments. That's true. But did God call you to that environment? Just because God calls people there does not mean that God calls you there. And if you can't control yourself and you don't have the ability to navigate those well, that's probably not where God is calling you right now. Right? So we need to ask the question, is God calling me there and how do I do it responsibly? And that's kind of where we're going next. So addiction and how social media shapes the brain. This is a commercial that AT&T released on the Facebook Ever been there? Just tearing you up inside? Yeah, but what if they sent me an emoji? What do I say? Uh, how many people have ever watched ASAP science videos? Okay, don't tell them I'm using this. Um, so this is a way where they're communicating um, some of the science behind how social media is changing our brain. With social media sites being used by one-third of the entire world, they've clearly had a major influence on society. But what about our bodies? Here are five crazy ways that social media and the internet are affecting your brain right now. Can't log off? Surprisingly, 5-10% to 10 of internet users are actually unable to control how much time they spend online. Though it's a psychological addiction as opposed to a substance addiction, brain scans of these people actually show a similar impairment of regions that those with drug dependence have. Specifically, there's a clear degradation of white matter in the regions that control emotional processing, attention, and decision making. Because social media provides immediate rewards with very little effort required, your brain begins to rewire itself, making you desire these stimulations. And you begin to crave more of this neurological excitement after each interaction. Sounds a little like a drug, right? We also see a shift when looking at multitasking. You might think that those who use social media or constantly switch between work and websites are better at multitasking, but studies have found that when comparing heavy media users to others, they perform much worse during task switching tests. Increased multitasking online reduces your brain's ability to filter out interferences and can even make it harder for your brain to commit information to memory. Like when your phone buzzes in the middle of productive work. Or wait, did it even buzz? 
Phantom vibration syndrome is a relatively new psychological phenomenon where you think you felt your phone go off, but it didn't. In one study, 89% of test subjects said they experienced this at least once every two weeks. It would seem that our brains now perceive an itch as an actual vibration from our phone. As crazy as it seems, technology has begun to rewire our nervous system, and our brains are being triggered in a way they never have before in history. Social media also triggers a release of dopamine, the feel-good chemical. Using MRI scans, scientists found that the reward centers in people's brains are much more active when they're talking about their own views as opposed to listening to others. Not so surprising, we all love talking about ourselves, right? But it turns out that while 30 to 40% of face-to-face -face conversations involve communicating our own experiences, around 80% of social media communication is self-involved. The same part of your brain related to orgasms, motivation, and love are stimulated by your social media use, and even more so when you know you have an audience. Our body is physiologically rewarding us for talking about ourselves online. But it's... Did you get that last line? Our bodies are physiologically rewarding ourselves for talking about ourselves online. It's not that big a deal. The problem is we as human beings are, you know, selfish and stuff by default. This is actually making it even worse. Not helping, right? And also notice that the very areas of our brain that have to do with intimacy and relationships are activated when we get notifications online. This is one of the big reasons why depression and loneliness is commonly experienced alongside heavy online usage. It's because it doesn't deliver like real relationships do. It doesn't offer the same fulfillment. And so your brain is going there to get the feeling, but the feeling isn't as deep and lasting as the real deal. And so you, you start plunging into depression, and this is why loneliness and depression are on the rise, particularly with people who have heavy online usage. Some connections there. Uh, some of you probably recognize this guy. He is a straight-up into New Age kooky stuff, but uh, his video on this is very, very good, and he has another really good one on coconut oil. But, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, so he's, what he does is he uses satire to deal with real issues and in ways that are actually quite, quite helpful. So this is, his name is J.P. Sears, but this is a, a thing he does on the topic of our phones. Studies show that people check their phones 150 times per day. This is horrible, and I think we can do better. I envision a world where people have enough anxious energy that they're driven to check their phones at least 600 times per day. How to be more addicted to your My phone. My mission in this life is to make sure that every man, woman, and child has their life enriched by always having a device in their hand. Always being on my phone gives me the thrill of being manically busy while I'm actually wasting my time. You need to be hypervigilant about what's going on in your feed. If there's something happening that you don't know about, then other people know something useless that you don't know. That'll make you a less significant person. If I'm not frantically consuming content on my phone, then I'm missing out. And I don't know what that something is that I'm missing out on, but I refuse to miss out on it. You need to have a well-educated understanding of how bad things will get if you're not on your phone. One time I went an hour without looking at my phone. What happened? My family disowned me. I'll never see them again. My dog died. I went bankrupt. And my food supply was cut off. I get to feel a dopamine rush that gratifies me for 37 seconds each time I check my phone. And then I feel anxious again. And then I check my phone again. Notice that the thoughts and feelings that you don't want to experience are in here. So you'll want to position your phone 
here. And when you do, notice that your eyes are pointed at your phone, and that keeps your attention out here, which means you're not paying attention to what's going on in here, which is ideal. And I'm sorry to get graphic, but look what would happen if you don't have your phone in front of you. Your attention would start to notice you. And if that happens, it's nobody's fault but your own. Remember, when you're mindlessly scrolling, you're not looking for something you care about. Looking is what you care about. When a text comes in, understand that if you don't check it right away, you become irrelevant to the person who sent it. You simply won't matter to them anymore. At this point, your anxiety levels should be at least a 9 out of 10. This will inspire you to appropriately disrupt what you're doing and check your text, and avoid getting lost in a sea of irrelevance. Okay, go ahead. When you're encountering something wonderful, it can't bring you joy unless you hold your phone between you and it to transfer it to your social media. Once it's on your social media, you can see other people seeing you see something wonderful, and that'll bring you real joy. You know you're on the right track when other people take out their phone and then you reflexively take out yours, even though you have no idea what you want to look at, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> Just start looking. How can people live without being on their devices constantly? According to history, if you look at times where people existed without mobile devices, you'll see that they're all dead now. <laughs> you can't live without being on your device constantly. Scientific studies show that if I'm not posting useless thoughts that involve no thoughtfulness throughout the day as a way of begging people to notice me, people will forget about me and I'll cease to exist. I don't want to be a statistic. For safety reasons, you'll always want to have a backup battery charger with you. Would astronauts go to outer space without backup oxygen? No, they would not, because they would die. So what would happen to you if your phone ran out of power? Something worse. You'd experience yourself. If I had kids, I'd give them a phone as soon as they could hold it. Really? I've never noticed them. There's a whole world inside your phone. Don't let it pass you by. So there's a lot of truth to what he's saying, and uh, again, the Babylonians are lapping us uh, when it comes to addressing some of these things, but, because he's getting like millions of views, but addressing real issues that we would address, mm -hmm. and what would happen if your phone died? You'd have to experience yourself, which seems to be implying that one of the reasons why we're losing ourselves in these devices is because we don't want to deal with what's going on on the inside, and that's where we're going next, but... The reason why, there's a reason we get all these notifications about what other people are doing, right? I don't know if you have the same obsessive compulsive habit that I do, but whenever I open my iPhone and there are these red circles with numbers in them, they must die. <laughs> like, I, I cannot believe that people have like 4,000 unread emails. I, I, can't, I can't handle that. No, uh, Ricky. Eliana, you, your dad needs help. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things, I just can't do it. So I have to check them, but the problem is, some of them are not even notifications about what people have looked at for my post. It's like, hey, so-and-so put something in their story. And, but they do this because they're trying to hook you back in, right? Twitter is one of the worst about this. And so they're trying to pull you back in, but here's the thing, you don't have to chase the notifications you can check them on your terms and not theirs. They literally have all kinds of scientists who are doing studies to figure out what are the best colors to use, what are the best sounds to use, what are the best methods to use to get you back in. 
Their entire job is to bring you into the ecosystem because once they get you in, you see their advertisers, they can control your emotions and how you think and how you feel and get you to go from one emotional state to another one intentionally. How they organize the post in your feed is intentional. So these are things you have to be aware of. Some important thoughts. One, all addictive behavior is us attempting to numb pain that we're feeling in our life. That's true. So the follow-up question then would be, what thoughts am I trying to avoid right now? When you find yourself compulsively reaching for the phone, what thoughts are you looking to avoid? What things are you trying to avoid? And three, have I brought my brokenness to Jesus or am I looking to the attention of others to fill that void? Right? Is human sympathy and attention and response what I'm doing as a counterfeit, right, as some means of compensation for brokenness and woundedness that I have in my experience? You need to have those introspective thoughts. Is the cause that I'm posting about my way of escaping my real brokenness? Is my obsession with women's ordination, environmentalism, with politics, with Donald Trump, with gun stuff, is my, the, the trinity or lack thereof, is my compulsion to post and talk and, and rail on people about these things my means of medicating myself and my self-worth? Is running down other people my way of feeling better about myself? Is my addiction to theological controversy my means of masking my brokenness and insecurity? And that's actually more of an older person issue, not a younger person issue. They're not the ones killing each other and being cannibals over that. It's the other issues that they're doing that on. So does running so-and-so down numb the pain and the insecurity that I feel, right? Real questions to be asking ourselves. Some helpful steps. You choose when you reply and look. Not somebody else, right? So you reply on your terms, on your conditions. Ask yourself a question. Why am I here? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm willing to bet that you all would raise your hands. How many people have found themselves, and just raise your hands in your head, how many people have found yourselves on social media, and like an hour goes by, and then you forget why you even went there? You went for a specific purpose. For old people, this happens with like everything they do when they get up and leave the room, like... (laughs) And, and then they just forget, like, why they're in the room. And so they just go back to the other room, hoping that thought comes back. But for us, we do it here, right? I'm just going, right? You justify, go, we justify entering because we already know we shouldn't be there. No, 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 I'm just going to go for this. You, there's no guard, right? There's no warden you're reporting to. It's your conscience already telling you you don't need to be there. No, no, I'm just going to go for X, And like an hour's worth of cat videos later, you're asking yourself, why am I here? And like, I'm late for school. I didn't feed my children. I don't know, whatever it may be. Like, why am I even here? And we don't even know. We forget why we came in the first place. So ask yourself before you even get on social media, why am I going? What are my intentions? Right? If you need to have a little whiteboard next to your cell phone, they give you like a checkoff list, then do what you got to do, right? I encourage people to treat it like the post office. Right? When you go to the post office, you drop off mail and you pick up mail, but you don't live there. How creepy would that be, right? If people just set up a couch in the middle of the post office, you just hang out all day. People don't do that. Right? So I, I, I'm striving to treat it like the post office, where I have a specific purpose. I'm sending things out, I'm taking things in, and I'll be back tomorrow. Right? That's an ideal situation. 
How many people have heard the phrase, don't shop when you're hungry? Yeah, this, this is not the time to be going to social media whenever you're lonely, when you're longing for something. That's not the time to go because you just keep going and going and going and going, hoping for something to fill that hole. And if you've ever been really bad about it, I used to be that way with the news too. Like, there's nothing to do, but like they're just running the same stories they ran last night when it's in the morning. And so like the only real option to be fed is to stay away. But what do I do with myself in between now and later, right? And it's, it's not really stimulating us, but we're just hoping for some post or something that will kind of help us. But that's not what we're looking for. Am I looking for affirmation and attention? Is that why I'm posting right now? I would strongly encourage you to take an hour when you wake up and an hour before you go to bed device-free. They actually make Bibles in print now. I don't know if you're aware of this. <laughs> But you can actually buy one of these at your local ABC. I bet you you got like 50 of them in your house anyway. Um, bless the poor children in Africa who don't. So, or Asia or wherever it may be. So read a real Bible. I'm not opposed to digital. I can't do digital books. I'm just horrible at it. But anyway, in the morning and in the evening, when you're communing with God, use books. They make hymnals in book form, if you sing. Um, the Spirit of Prophecy, the entire Spirit of Prophecy collection... They, they went for, I know they started with the app, but they started releasing now book versions. And, and like everything this lady has ever written, you can find in book form, right? Except for the 1888 materials. Um, they stopped that. But anyway, um, and other things. But my point is, spend your first hour and your last hour of your day device-free. Just get away from them, right? Just take some time to just unwind, to not let that stuff get you going. Be honest with yourself. If you need to take time away, do it. But deal with the root issues of why you're addicted. Otherwise, you're just going to jump back in. Maybe you've done one of those pious Facebook fasts before. And, and you, you make this magnanimous post to all your friends. You know, after long thoughts of prayer and reflection, I've realized that I, uh, I'm just spending too much time on Facebook. And I'm leaving Facebook because it's taking too much of my time and it's hindering my relationship with God. Man, that sounds good. And, and I'm not saying it's not sincere at the time, but the problem is, many times, whenever that month goes by, we just binge, right? Just, just absolutely go headlong, and what was the point of leaving if you didn't deal with the root issues of why you left? Does that make sense? So it would be good for us to take that introspection. According to this slide, selfie is a picture taken of a person by that person. But I've actually, I've, I've developed a phrase, and don't steal this from me. I call it selfie-ishness. It's basically that social media, again, has reprogrammed the way that our brains operate to make us even more selfish than we used to be, right? And anyway, just some things that we need to be thinking about. Uh, we need to think about what we're thinking about. Now, a lesson from the life of Lot. So in Genesis chapter 19, I'm just going to overview for time's sake, but I will have a couple of verses on the screen. But in Genesis chapter 19, Sodom is going down in T minus eight hours or whatever, right? And the angels go into the city. They want to stay in the courtyard. Lot says, no, you're coming to my place. No, we'll be fine. Uh-uh, you're coming to my place. Some stuff happens. We know about that. Moving on now. But the text says in Exodus chapter, or, uh, Genesis chapter 19, should be, no, this is when Lot first went there. It says Genesis chapter 13 and verse 13 that the, the, the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now, I have a question for you. Does this sound like a place you want to be raising your kids? Does it sound like they're filming Sesame Street here? No, 
right? The men of Sodom were exceedingly sinful and wicked, wicked and sinful against the Lord. And yet, for whatever reason, this is the place that Lot decides to live, right? Abraham says, you go, if you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. And Lot chooses Vegas, right? They got Whole Foods. They got libraries. They got Trader Joe's and Earth Fair. I'm going there. I'm in. They got an Apple store. And so they, this is where he ends up moving. And he moves his entire life into this place, right? He first gets a whooping when he gets into the city because, you know, the people are rebelling against the kings over this area. And they get taken captive. Abraham hears about it, beats the bad guys, brings them back. And what Lot does not know when he's taken captive is that someone's coming to save him. In Lot's mind, he's a dead duck, right? Like he's in a lot of trouble and he knows he shouldn't be there. But the interesting thing is when you get to Genesis chapter 19, after all this has happened, where's Lot living? In the city. This ain't an outpost. This ain't a center of influence. His whole life is wrapped up in a place that he never should have been. But the dissonance, the tension in the story is that Lot is referred to as a righteous man. You have a righteous man who's comfortable in the midst of foolishness. And it causes difficulty, not just for him, but for his children. Now, when the angels tell him, you need to get out of here, his initial response is, you know, you're right. You're right. You know, I'm going to call U-Haul tomorrow. I'm going to schedule a truck for next week. We're going to have a yard sale, right? Maybe get some stuff to Goodwill. Yeah. He doesn't understand the seriousness and the imminence of this situation. They say, I don't think you get it, man. You need to leave and you need to leave now. Go tell your family and get out. So when he goes to speak to his sons-in-law, he's got two daughters, and then he's got two daughters that are married, apparently, according to the narrative, who are in the city because he's got sons-in-law and two virgin daughters. And then he has his wife. So when he goes to tell the sons-in-law, you guys have to get out of here. This place is so wicked. It's so bad. God's going to destroy this place. It's, 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 it's laughing in the face of God. It's all going to burn. The text literally says that to his sons-in-law... He seemed to be joking. You ever wondered why? Just imagine being the sons-in-law. You know, you didn't seem to be this worried a week ago. And if this place really is all that bad, why do you live here? No one would take him seriously. And many of us are so comfortable around worldly things. When I say many of us, I mean just as a movement. I'm not going to corner any of you. I don't know your stories. But... We're so comfortable around worldly things that we don't really think much about it anymore, right? We're very comfortable around them. And we just assume that somehow, someday, once we see a Sunday law passed, then we're going to get serious about Jesus. Then we're going to get our act together. And then whenever we tell people who are in our sphere of influence that we do worldly things with, or at least are comfortable around, when we tell them to get out, we're going to leave, first of all, that we actually think that we're going to want to leave at that point in time. And two, we think we're going to pull them out. Genesis 19 doesn't read that way. That's the problem. And Jesus says, as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What was going on? Righteous and the comfort of foolishness, right? Comfortable in the midst of foolishness. So Lot's concession and his comfort killed his witnessing potential. And when the day of judgment came, his ability to save people and pull them out of the environment was severely hampered. Don't kid yourselves. If we're that comfortable around worldly foolishness, 
and we think that we're going to want to leave, which Lot fought hoof and claw the whole time. Ellen White says specifically that Lot's wife died because he tarried. The righteous guy who had a devotional life, right? Had his kids watch Veggie Tales, whatever, right? He, the righteous guy, was comfortable in placing his kids in a caustic, worldly environment while trying to live a righteous life, and it didn't work. And if someone was to look at your Facebook feed, your Twitter feed, your Snapchats, even the ones that disappeared, which I guarantee you they don't disappear. They're somewhere. (laughs) The NSA, thank you. Um, What would people think? Righteous? Comfortable around foolishness? Foolishness? Righteous. What would they see? introspective time, right? Lot is referred to as a righteous man, but his righteousness didn't save his family once he presumptuously moved his whole life into Sodom. And we need to think about that, right? Because they, they didn't fare out well. Now, the new outpost center. How many people have even heard of an outpost center, first of all? How many people have heard the phrase? I'm not even asking if you know what it means. How many people have heard the phrase outpost center? Hands high, like you're unashamed. All right, the remnant. So what is an outpost center? It's a missionary community outside of a city that provides education, restoration, and preparation for work that's to be done in the city. Notice, we're not hiding from the boogeymen, storing ammunition and MREs that are vegan to save our own skin. God never intended for outpost centers to be about saving me. Outpost sinners were for the means of saving souls. And you have the privilege of being involved. So if we're just hoarding up to save ourselves, we've missed the entire point. And there's more of us than we would like to admit. I don't even mean in this room, I just mean in a general sense. But not only do they have a place outside of the city, the intention is that they establish a center of influence inside of the city to win the trust and friendship of the people. And I'll give you a great example here in a moment. All with the goal of making intentional efforts to win their souls. A center of influence. Last week I was doing a week of prayer at a school, a church school in South Georgia, uh, Columbus First. Beautiful people. It's right next to Yuchi Pines. I didn't know it until I got there. Yuchi Pines has a restaurant slash health food store called Country Life. And this place is killing it, y'all. I went in there on a Thursday and they were packed with people who are not Seventh-day Adventists, who are not vegetarians, lining up to eat delicious, healthy food. Cooked with love by Seventh-day Adventists who live in the country but serve in the urban center. And they're killing it right now. Their sales are better than they've ever been, and you'll never believe it. That's an industry for Yuchi Pines, which is helping Yuchi Pines financially do well. I don't know what their whole state is. I don't know if they're in the red and the black. What I do know is this business is profiting more than it ever has, and that's positive for the Outpost Center, which, by the way, is also serving people. They're not hiding off to themselves. They're, and they're getting like 15 people uh, per term whenever they do their treatments, And the majority of these people, again, are non-Adventists and non-Christians being served in love with the right arm of the gospel. 
I think that's amazing. That's what outpost centers were meant to be. Why do I say that? God has not called us to live in social media, but he has called us to influence people in and with social media. You understand the difference? You don't live in the city. That's not where you sleep at night. That's not what your whole world is surrounded with, but it is your mission field. You live outside of the city. There's a place where you live that isn't infected by that foolishness, right? Where you can get away from it, where you can come aside and rest a while. I believe this is the way that God would have us to engage in social media ministry, if that's the call that God has given you. This is what we're told. uh, I think this is in messages to young people regarding the situation with Lot. And again, that reference will be here in a second. We should choose the society most favorable to our spiritual advancement and avail ourselves of every help within our reach. For Satan will oppose many hindrances to make our progress towards heaven as difficult as possible. In short, Satan does not want you to succeed in the Christian life, in case you weren't aware. He doesn't like you, and misery loves company. But we may be placed in trying positions, for many cannot have their surroundings what they would. But we should not voluntarily expose ourselves to influences that are unfavorable to the formation of Christian character. Right? This is where it falls in the category of God calls people to live in hostile places. That's true. Has God called you there? Ask that question. How much of my time and involvement should be invested here? Notice I'm striking a very balanced position here. Has huge potential for the gospel, but it's not for everyone. If you have zero self-control and it's pulling you away from God, right? If seeing suggestive images leads you from Facebook to some other website, is this the place that God would have me? Right? If I can't get my mind out of what's going on in entertainment, if I can't get my mind out of just being heavily addicted to sports or politics, Lord Jesus, have mercy, um, then maybe that's not the place for me. And that's okay. You're not a bad person for that. That's not where God would have you to be. That's okay. There's other mission fields for you, right? The harvest is plenty. When duty calls us to this, when we are called to those places, we should be doubly watchful and prayerful. Why? So that through the grace of Christ, we may stand uncorrupted. Notice, people do get called there, but don't just assume that because God calls people there, I'll be fine. No, we need to be doubly watchful and prayerful. We should be self-distrustful in environments like that. Some counsel on things to avoid. Can I go in? All right. There are people in the Seventh-day Adventist church who are drinking the Kool-Aid from the liberals and the conservatives. And it's literally clouding the way that they view Scripture. Like it or don't, it's true. And it's tainting the way that we view the people around us. And we start living our life in binary code. You're a one or you're a zero. You're with us or you're against us. And that same poisonous vitriol that exists in the political sphere is infecting Adventism. Are you for women's ordination or against women's ordination? Are you for contemporary music Are you against contemporary music? I don't know if you're aware of this, but liberal Seventh-day Adventists and conservative Seventh-day Adventists are Seventh-day Adventists. We're brethren. We're on the same team, right? Our goal is still moving in the same direction. It ought to be. 
Now, there are varying views of how this should operate, and I'm not giving my opinion on any of these matters. That's not the point. My opinion really isn't all that valuable, to be honest with you. Let's just stick to what the inspired writings say. My point is that poison that's happening out there is just as prevalent here. And I see in my Facebook feed things being written by Seventh-day Adventists who should be ashamed of themselves. And they look like cannibals. I don't know if you're aware of this. People are not in the category of what's allowed to be eaten in Leviticus 11. We don't eat people, right? Mm -hmm. But if you go on some of the websites that our church members are setting up, and I get it. They're going to have their agendas, right? The conservatives have theirs. They got their websites with their articles that people post. And the liberals have theirs where people post their articles. And, hey, free press, I get it. For one, those articles better be gracious and not filled with vitriol. And two, what concerns me even more than the articles is the comment sections. And what's happening in these comment sections is sinful. And the administrators of these websites have to do something about this. We are empowering our brethren to stumble. It's a violation of Romans 13. I'm causing my brothers to stumble because of this. It's shameful, guys. Jesus has nothing to do with that. It's not good. If you can't have civil discourse with someone who doesn't think as you think, are you actually a Christian? Do you check your Christianity at the door? Whenever someone starts talking about Trump? Do you check your Christianity at the door when someone starts talking about Dan Jackson or Ted Wilson? Do you cease being a civil human being when someone starts talking about guns or race rights or something else? We don't think that's us. We think that's everyone else that has that problem. I know what I'm talking about. I'm smarter than they're wrong. And I must tell them that they're not right. Really. We've got to be careful with this stuff, guys. What I want you to do is a really big favor for me. I'm not asking for much in this seminar, but I am asking this. One, be Christians. I am asking that. That should be clear. But two, I'm about to post a quote. And if any of you have social media accounts, I'm asking all of you to post this quote. I'm serious as a heart attack. This is from the 1888 materials. Nothing frightens me more. This is written... In the 1880s or 90s, late 80s, probably early 90s, I think. Nothing frightens me more than to see the spirit of variance manifested by our brethren. Not Babylonians, not politicians, our brethren. We are on dangerous ground when we cannot meet together like Christians and courteously examine controverted points. It continues. I feel like fleeing the place. Ella White's saying this. I feel like fleeing the place lest I should receive the mold of those who cannot candidly investigate the doctrines of the Bible. Then listen to what she closes with. Those who cannot impartially examine the evidences of a position that differs from theirs are not fit to teach in any department of God's cause. How many pastors... And professors, do you see posting things on social media where they're being critical and unchristian in their dealings with people who see things differently than they do? 
I won't go so far as to say that she says revoke their credentials, but that spirit has no place in our churches, in our conferences, or in our schools. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let alone in our hearts. But leaders are held to an even higher standard in the eyes of God, and you should know better than that. 1888 materials, 534.3. Yeah, they're all in 534.3. Please do me the favor of posting this so more people can understand that this is not the way that we do business as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. Can you back up so we can take a picture of it so we can <laughs> type it up later? Yeah. 1888, 534.3. What thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> The other one has red in it. I don't know if it's as visible, but you can look it up. All right. You ever had that? You get so upset with what you see in your feed, you just want to throw your computer in the bathtub? <laughs> That's how she felt. And you know where people were having these knockdown dragouts? In the review, in the signs of the times. We were using our publications to refute and to denigrate our own brethren. She said, shame on you. You should know better than that. This is why Paul tells the Roman church, the church in Rome, I should say, in Romans 2, verse 24, that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you mm-hmm. speaking to the church. This isn't acceptable, guys. We can't do that. But on the topic of bullying, I wanted to share something here. Ellen White can actually understand people who've been bullied and dealt with. She was hit in the face with a rock by a girl who was bullying her. And this is what she says. She says, As I became able to join and play with my young friends, I was forced to learn the bitter lesson that our appearance often makes a difference in the treatment we receive from our companions. Unfortunately, the way that I look ends up affecting how people treat me. She says, it was the hardest struggle of my young life to yield to my feebleness and to decide that I must leave my studies and give up the hope of gaining an education. She maxed out at a third grade education because she was bullied and was physically incapable of going through schooling. There's no benefit from this. And you may be thinking, why are you talking about bullying? I thought you were talking about people getting on to each other about theology. Yeah, that's bullying. No different. Just because you're quoting the Bible doesn't mean you're not bullying somebody, making them feel like an idiot for having views different than you. Even if you are theologically on the right side of that discussion, your heart is not. You're wrong while being right. And two wrongs don't make a right. Now, I'm going to close with the story of a girl. Her name is Amanda Todd. This girl uh, was a teenager... She, this is what some people have asked me, you know, like, what's the first age that people should have access to social media and stuff? I say late teens, mid to late teens, and I'll explain why in our next session. Remind me about that, because some of you may be really upset already, but I'll explain why. And this girl's story is a good example. First of all, we end at 1015, right? Yes. Okay. So this girl's story is a good example of this. She was doing web chats with people she didn't know. Somehow she meets people on some forum, and they start doing web chats back and forth with strangers. She's like 14, maybe, 13, 14. And this guy, he keeps pressing her to reveal her upper regions to the webcam. 
And she gives in and she does it. What she doesn't know is that this person somehow took a picture when that happened. And about a year goes by, and they message her on social media and say, Hey, if you don't give me another show, I'm actually going to show this picture to everybody. She's like, No, I'm not going to do that. She tries to ignore them. Over Christmas break, the police show up to her house at 2 in the morning. And it turns out that this picture has been sent to everyone. The guy actually messaged her before this and said, these are your parents' names. These are your friends' names. This is where you go to school. They knew everything about this girl. And I'm going to show all these people if you don't do this for me. She didn't listen. And it did get shared, but not just to her school, but to like four other schools in the area. And this is what she says. She says, I can never get that photo back. And it's out there forever. There are young people in our movement who, in moments of thoughtlessness, have sent pictures of themselves that they would never send to anybody, but this person talked them into it, and they told them, I'll never show anybody. That's never true. It's never true. And once something's out there digitally, it's out there. And she says, I can never get it back. People commit suicide over things like this. And she ends up leaving that school because she gets made fun of by everybody. They call her an idiot, that she's stupid, and they're giving her a terrible time. So she moves to a different school, and the guy does it again. I guess he starts a social media pro- uh, profile, and he uses that picture as the profile picture and shares it all around again and devastates her. She gets a call. So she, she's depressed, right? She's just feeling horrible, She's falling into substance abuse now because of all what she's gone into just to kind of numb the pain that she's dealing with from all this bullying and nonsense from people in school. And she gets a call from a guy who's a friend of hers and says, hey, you know, my girlfriend's out of town. And I think you know where this is going. And it happens. She makes a mistake, and the girlfriend finds out about it, calls her out at school, and ends up taunting her, this group of like 15 people. She gets a text, actually, like a week later, and saying, get out of your school. Get out of your school right now. And she doesn't. About 15 people surround her. And this, this girlfriend, eventually someone says, what are you waiting on? Just hit her. And they do. And she beats her up in front of everybody. And then this girl, Amanda, just goes and lays down in a ditch somewhere. I think this is outside. And her dad eventually comes and picks her up, or her parent comes and picks her up. And what begins to ensue on social media is people taunting her. Because what she ends up doing when she goes home is she drinks bleach. She wants to end her life. She doesn't want to do this anymore. She can't take it anymore. And what they end up posting is saying that she should try a different bleach. And I hope this time she isn't so stupid. This is what young people are saying to other young people. This is what's happening. And what ends up happening to her, she lives. She doesn't die. And they keep posting all these things. And she posted this video, and it's on, YouTube, it's on YouTube even now, if you just type Amanda Todd, where it's her just going through these note cards, telling her story, and it's devastating. She's crying out for help. She's looking for somebody, and she closes her video. This video is posted a few months before she actually ends up taking her life. All the warning signs were there. No one acted, but this is what she closes with. I have nobody, and I need someone. 
How many of us have felt that way? It's why she gave herself away. It's why she made that bad mistake. It's why she was chatting with strangers. There was a hole inside, as Chad was talking about this morning. What she didn't know is that she wasn't alone. And she does have someone. His name is Jesus. But someone's got to tell her. There are Amanda Todd's in your life right now. In your sphere of influence right now. And someone has to tell them that they're not alone. That they have someone. And if you are Amanda Todd right now, you're not alone. You have someone. Jesus can actually relate to this girl's experience. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2, he was viewed as unattractive. In Isaiah 53 and verse 3, he was rejected. She dealt with rejection. In Isaiah 53 and verse 3, uh, 52 and verse 3, he felt alone in it. Actually, I think it should be 53 and verse 3. He felt alone in his grief. He was physically wounded in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, just like she was. And yet he was quiet about the abuse, we're told in Isaiah 53 and verse 7. Just like her. She had a Savior that completely understood her pain. He was ridiculed and mocked in Psalm 22, 6 to 8, just like her. He was stripped and cried out to God for help in Psalm 22, 18 to 21. He was not violated, but he was in a situation very similar to this. If anyone's gone through that situation, Jesus can relate. He understands. He was tempted to harm himself in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, to throw himself down from the temple, just like her when she drank bleach, just like her when she ended up taking her own life, just like some of us when we're cutting, when we're burning, when we're making other self-destructive decisions, just trying to feel like we have some form of control in our life because we feel powerless. He was betrayed by someone he trusted in Matthew 26, verses 48 and 49. And he was tempted to numb his pain by drinking wine. She was in alcohol and drugs to try to get rid of the pain. Jesus was tempted in the same way. That wine vinegar mix on the cross was meant to numb the pain that he was to feel. And he himself was publicly exposed and shamed in Matthew chapter 27, verse 35. If you've been in a situation where there's pictures of you that are out there that you wish never happened, Jesus understands. Publicly shamed in front of the entire city. So if you've been bullied and abused, know that Christ went through this to be able to comfort you in ways that nobody else can. And we'll close with these two texts. Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18. Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, in all things, Jesus had to be made like his brethren. Why? So that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Why did Jesus have to suffer? Because you suffer. And he did it so that he can help you while you suffer. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, knowing all of what Jesus went through, Paul says that seeing then that we have such a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
This is not the time to be letting go of Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know what he says next? Because of this, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. This is why Jesus had to suffer like you, so that you would know that you could come boldly and not be ashamed anymore. Amanda Todd didn't know that. But hopefully, now you do. And whenever you find people just like her, you know what to tell them. We have a Savior who understands. So if you've been bullied, or if you've seen people bullied, do something about it. What are you waiting on? These signs were there for her. It's not okay. I would rather get in trouble for standing for the oppressed than to not be there when someone is hurting. Jesus says that inasmuch as you did it for the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. He's talking about people just like this precious girl. We're more willing to share our disgust over political and religious things than we are to stand for people who are being oppressed. And that's not okay. We watch things like this happen and we say nothing. That's not okay. So social media sin... It depends. Are you using it? Or is it using you? Yeah? That's the question. Oops. That's an old slide. But uh, it's a great ministry, though. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And then uh, I'm actually going to set aside time for questions at the end of the next one. So if you have questions, write them down. And then let's pray. Father, I thank you that we're not alone. That we have someone. And God, I just pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we've not handled digital communication as we ought. I pray that you'd come and abide in us, that you would teach us to use this in a way that's pleasing to you and will bring honor and glory to you. Forgive our sins today. Cover them with the blood of Jesus, I pray. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.